Rewrite Repeat, a podcast where a writer and bookseller and another writer bookseller join in to talk writing, reading, and all manner of bookish topics. I am Keisha, a one-time indie bookstore owner and bookseller. I'm Kelsey, the writer person who likes books. And, and then there's Rachel. And Rachel is joining Hi. us today. Hi. As a writer. <laughs> and a bookseller. You're, you've been a bookseller, right? Yes, before. Yeah. Okay. Previously, yeah. And in another life sometime way And just longer. all around, she's like kind of our like bookish all-purpose nerd, kind of like Dylan. <laughs> we just seem to be able to find them. We, we do. It's like we attract them. <laughs> <laughs> I just plug in the gaps here and there. <laughs> Oh, and um, I'm hoping that Dennis is editing Wizardry, so my son edits our podcast for money, because I pay him. Pay him. <laughs> um, but I'm hoping he can edit out himself and his friend, who also happens to be his cousin, who also happens to be Keisha's son. That's true. <laughs> These are all very talking the way you explain their relationship. <laughs> to quote Oliver, you're spitting mad facts. <laughs> Anyways, they are teenagers, and they are smelly. You can't tell that from this. And loud. loud. They're They're very loud. loud. And so I'm hoping that he will edit himself out. Dennis, edit yourself out of this. (laughs) But if not, making death metal rocks. Right. (laughs) Too young to be on the internet. Just (laughs) no. Anyway, so today we were we're doing kind of an interlude, which is what we decided to name our random. We want to include you in our life episodes. <laughs> like, like when we have my birthday party and we include you. This is a full moon, so we thought we would include you. Yeah, yeah. We, we do like full moon rituals. Although we haven't really done any rituals with this full moon. No. And drink beer and... We've been drinking beer. Talk mm-hmm. books. We did We did some writing critique. Let's, let, yeah, we did we productive did. things. We did productive things. But also, it's what, the sturgeon? Is the harvest of a sturgeon full moon? I thought it was the beaver full moon. I think I made that up. <laughs> the beaver, the beaver full moon is a full moon, but I like October is the harvest, and no, it's November. Yeah, I, I'm like no, it's the sturgeon. No, the sturgeon is in September, so you're right. It might be the beaver moon. I'm sure the internet could tell us. <laughs> the internet could tell us. But we do full moons rituals, mm-hmm. and so we thought it'd be a good time to talk about ritual rituals, like reading reading rituals, rituals and writing rituals. And the first writing ritual that pops up in my mind, because my life has been in chaos, and we're getting the nod. It was a beaver moon. Yeah, I it was, was making beaver, beaver teeth with my... With my <laughs> yeah, that was confirmation, though, yes. <laughs> oh, I really, really, really wish you guys could see Keisha's beaver teeth. <laughs> that is really should be as a YouTube channel. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just long enough to go, no. 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 But that could be your social media yeah. queue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will spare that for you. Um, anyway, before Keisha's beaver teeth, there was rituals. We were talking about rituals. Mm-hmm. And the first ritual that pops into my mind, because my life has been a mad chaos of post-MFA crash. <laughs> so, but Rachel has rescued me from that. Is we are doing a weekly check-in. And so my yes. whole writing revolves around this like weekly ritual of us checking in with each other. <laughs> which is so fantastic. Which is mm-hmm. super great. It's so wonderful to have that. But I was laughing the other day because Bob's like, really? This is a writing check-in? You guys are never writing. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, 
Yeah. I mean, in all fairness, we did make homemade marshmallows. <laughs> and we drug giant dried sagebrush bushes. Oh, God. I forgot about that. Half a mile. It looked like we were creating some sort of, like, wicker man, sacrificial burning man, like, corpse pile. Complete um, with the soundtrack of just the branches oh, scraping across, across the ground. It was, yeah. it was, it was eerie. It yeah. was eerie. So, yeah, I mean... Like not writing, but pre-writing. Well, pre-writing. Pre-writing. But this kind of brings me to the important point, I, I guess, for me as a writer, is I don't think I realized this until this year, how important that downtime is. Like, how important balance in your life is. Because during my MFA, there was no balance. Mm. It was totally skewed. And then I got done with my MFA, and I was like, I'll keep writing. <laughs> Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Uh, but I thought I would keep writing, and I didn't. I totally just crashed and burned, and yep. it was because I didn't have that balance. And so what I'm realizing is these moments of us scaring all of my neighbors <laughs> yep. are really, really important because they they allow my brain that space to digest and to get ready for the creativity that is actually really draining when I give myself to it. Yeah. And um, the other thing that I picked up recently is those, like, the you know, the there's all those subscription boxes around. Mm-hmm. I got myself a watercolor one. So oh, I do, fantastic. like, they send it every month. And then, I so I, and it's really easy because it, you know, you sketch the thing ahead of time and they have, like, the, the graphite paper so you can put it down. And so you just sketch what you're going to, and then they have the little tutorials. It's the most amazing thing ever. And What's so it I called? Think it's called, um, uh, I think it's like Let's Make Art or something like that. I have to have a side note. Yeah. There are two Let's cats out the, out the side door, and they are essentially sitting in the same pose, only like a foot apart. And it's just interestingly eerie. Because <laughs> look at this. Look at this. Seriously. It's like the same exact pose, the same exact direction. Cats are never interestingly eerie. I know. It's just, it's loving and it's cute. I just love that they're both just in perfect cat silhouette, a foot apart, right next to the glass. Gives you a matrix moment. Complete side note, I learned that they actually offered the part of Neo to Sandra Bullock, apparently. What? Yeah, not only, because I know there's that huge thing out there where they they offered it to Will Smith before um, Keanu Reeves, and Will Smith said he wasn't, like, mature enough for the role. And so he passed it over, and then they went to Keanu Reeves. But apparently they also offered it to Sandra Bullock, and they were willing to change Neo's gender. Wow. Um, if she took it, but she turned it down instead as well. And so I was having a moment where I was like, well, okay, I love Keanu Reeves as Neo. Like, I don't think the world would just make the same amount of sense if he wasn't Neo in my head. But also I can't help but think what would have happened had we had... A woman as Neo. Or Will Smith. Like, those all yeah. feel so vastly different as yeah. far as what you're getting from the character, like, what the yeah. character would turn out like. Mm-hmm. My mind has just been blown. Yeah, I know. When I learned that, I was just, I needed to sit down for a little bit and just have a moment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I processed my ritual downtime. Mm-hmm. Art. <laughs> Rachel clearly. <laughs> I read everything. <laughs> just read everything, and then write fan fiction about things that I need to change. That was um, one of the things we're trading right now because we agreed that November, like Nanorimo, and there's all the pressure that comes with Nanorimo when you're already working on projects. So we agreed we're just going to do fun projects for Nanorimo. 
Okay. Just fun. Yeah. And things that like we don't have any expectations of in the moment. Um, so you have the, the what we're going to call the Venus-Mars story right. right now. Which is so much better than Romeo and Juliet. He's like, <laughs> not really what it is at all anymore. But it was where the idea came from, and you have to you know acknowledge the roots. And then I ended up writing a Lord of the Rings fanfic. <laughs> Because I really oh, just, I know, I just really <laughs> needed to come to terms with Boromir, Boromir's death yet again. It's like, I go yeah. through this cycle where every, like, three years or so, I have to reprocess him dying. And we did just watch him die. And we did just watch him die, so here we are yet again. <laughs> um, and I just, I just, yeah, I have to, I have to come back and acknowledge all of the emotions. <laughs> Listeners, why do you guys, like... For those of you who write or do something creative, what is your create? What is your downtime like? How do you process or give yourself the space from your creative projects that you need? What are, What are your processes? Actually, yours. Um, baking. I really love, and that's something I notice I haven't done as much of. Partly because if I bake, then I eat it. Right. And then I have to run more. Right. And I don't run. And you have to run. So yeah. it's, um, although I did just do a half marathon, so I feel like I should pat oh, myself you. on the back. Okay, <laughs> job. Okay. Before anyone oh, thinks I'm humble bragging, <laughs> it took me three and a half hours to run this marathon. Half and half marathon. Three and a half hours. The girls I went with ran it in two hours and 20 minutes, so they had to wait for me for an hour and 10 minutes more. But, in all fairness, it was hard. Is <laughs> that 13 miles? It's 13.1 miles. Okay, yeah. Um, but it also, it had a lot of hills, because you had to drop down into this canyon. Oh, God. And yeah. run around these waterfalls. It was very beautiful. But then you had to run out. So, like, from 9 miles to, like, 11 miles, it was just all uphill. And one part of it was just pure stairs, and I just did not have the I just didn't that wasn't gonna happen no. yeah I mean I need somebody to, to quote a dear friend <laughs> ain't nobody give less of a shit than I <laughs> when it came I, to those stairs I just thought you know what I, I'm gonna look at this as a hike and uh, that was a lot more of what I did but um but there was some running I didn't walk the entire thing so I did some running but yeah I um I, I do find that I find baking to be a really therapeutic and artistic endeavor, which I really like to do. So um, I made an apple pie the other day, and I was just like, it's so fun. And I started, I made um, a, I made a homemade sourdough starter, a rye, like a rye starter, because I'd like to make some rye bread this holiday season. And so getting this to be a robust starter takes a lot of feeding and you have to get rid of half the starter to keep feeding it. And so it feels like the half good metaphor for writing. <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I, and the kids are fascinated by it because I have, I have engendered life in the kitchen in my weird processes, some of which were frightening and I've heard said yeah. some stories yeah. about, like, um, So the kids are well aware are of alive. my baking, <laughs> my, my kitchen, I don't know, my kitchen fiascos. So they were endlessly fascinated by the fact that I had to keep feeding the sourdough starter. And they're like, is it going to take over the cupboard? <laughs> I go, yeah, it could. Maybe. So I've been making, for, every, for the part that I have to discard, I've been using to make uh, waffles. So I've been making fresh sourdough waffles pretty can much every come morning. With me? Yes, I can. And I can bring you sourdough. I think Bob would totally sign on for us waffles. I mean, he just bought us a fancy new waffle the maker. The kids were like, "This is 
the these are the best waffles like they've ever yeah. and I they, I'm not gonna I mean those I will humble brag they were really damn good <laughs> but I blame it on the the, the growth that is in <laughs> making them so tasty um so yeah I find that something about that and as I look back on my life like other times in my life where I've had a lot of intense things going on like baking has just done this really because I find it creative but somehow it's not it, I don't know it doesn't it doesn't require the same amount of energy or stress like yes. it still takes effort and if I have to bake on a deadline then at least it's stressful but I never put myself in that situation or very rarely do I put myself in that situation where I'm baking and when you do you invite me over and I bring the gin and oh God, <laughs> we get pass out drunk <sighs> That may and happen. don't ever finish the turkey. <laughs> there was a Thanksgiving. <laughs> this is why I don't get to host Thanksgiving anymore. Oh. Kelsey gets to host Thanksgiving. I get to host Christmas. <laughs> that damn turkey, though, no. I got put on timeout. It may have been my fault. John, John grabbed me by the shoulders and was like, you need to go gather yourself together. I was so drunk. She was, she was cooking the turkeys, and I was supplying the gin, and there were, the, like, okay. Jennifer 75, right, is the yes. correct title. Well, I, don't, I think Jennifer was the, the brand. The brand. It's, like a, it's the, it's basically, it's gin and champagne. Yep. Right? Yep. Oh, God. Okay, yes. <laughs> You're just, there's, so like, yeah, there's no respite there. You're meant to have these in champagne flutes. So I'm talking maybe a half, maybe a quarter ounce of gin, and then it's topped off with champagne. And they're delicious. They are so incredibly delicious. I didn't have any champagne flutes. She had no champagne flutes. I had margarita glasses. She oh had margarita glasses. Oh, no. So she's pouring, like, two shots of gin and then filling the bowl <laughs> with champagne. Again, and no respite there I'm at so all. busy toasting and trying to cook this turkey <laughs> that I'm just drinking them because they're so insanely good and not even registering that I'm having, like, three drinks to what I think is one. <laughs> yeah, it was... Okay. <laughs> in that in that vein, last Thanksgiving, um, my roommate Bree takes a lot of pride in doing turkey because it's like, they, they're a great cook anyway, and they can do a fantastic turkey. And we always have friends over. Here's the issue that we run into, is that Brie and I realize our tolerance for alcohol is a little higher than our friends. <laughs> and just due to the connections that we have, we end up with a lot of random alcohol in the house because usually how our friends will pay us back will be like, you, kicked, you cooked food, we supply all the alcohol and you get to keep it. And then we'll slowly work through it through the year. And so that Thanksgiving, we were digging through the the, uh, yeah, the liquor cabinet, essentially, that we have. And I'm like, oh, here's rum. I didn't think we had rum in the house. And it's actually Haitian rum. And it's like a really fancy bottle that's all in French. And it looks a little cursed. I have no idea where this rum came from. <laughs> but I took a shot of it straight because I was curious on what it tasted like. And it tasted good. So I did a couple more shots throughout the evening. Oh, no. I'm doing fine because, like, I'm also, like, drinking water and eating. A friend of mine, Phil, is not doing fine. Because <laughs> two shots in, this guy who's on keto and is also a vegetarian. Oh, keto. Yeah. yeah. Um, so no meat in his diet either to balance out what's happening in his stomach right now. is pretty toasty. And then throughout shenanigans in the kitchen, Brie ends up burning themselves pretty badly on an oven rack that we pulled out too late. 
Um, and so all the things that they had going are suddenly at a stop. So we had like the stuffing, the turkey, the mashed potatoes, everything that they were handling in the kitchen is just like stalled. And they're like, no, no, I'm fine. I can do it. And we're like, no, go sit down, put some water on it. They're in Aries. So like they're used to burns. But at the same time, we're like, no, just go sit down and we'll handle the rest of this. So me, who's slightly tipsy, and Phil, who is just done completely, are like, no, we'll handle the stuffing. (laughs) Long story short, we set it down and it is cement. I'm not quite sure to this day how we got it to that point because it was literally the stuff that it's like, it's in the box. You add butter, you like mix and let it sit for five minutes. That's like how simple this should have been. <laughs> no. Did you mix it for like 35 minutes? <laughs> Maybe. And then we didn't add butter. We oh. added, I think we added the turkey fat. <laughs> Um, or some sort of fat rendering. Um, Because Phil was like, no, it doesn't necessarily need butter, it just needs fat. And so I think we ended up using like some something out of the kitchen that we thought was fat. We made paper mache. And so yeah, we stuck a fork in it and the fork is just sticking straight up. It's not going anywhere. There is no movement whatsoever. You hit this thing and it's like hitting a brick. And we were just like, how did this happen? And Brie, who is, again, kind of like wanted everything nice because they take a lot of pride in their food, is just like, how did you do this? I don't even understand. Like, how? (laughs) So we're still living that down. (laughs) To this day, I still don't quite know what Phil and I did, and I blame the Haitian rum because I think it was cursed. I, you know, I think that's... Do you still have this rum? It is done. We, ha- we now have um, Dominican... We now have Dominican rum in the house to replace it again. I don't know where the Dominican rum came from. It has no lid. So I there's like just... that you have rum that just randomly appears in your house. I don't understand where it comes from. so good. It, it is good. And, and, it, and it's Bree's drink of choice. Um, I prefer vodka. And I know where all the vodka comes from. I can keep track of the vodka. The rum is just suddenly we have it. I have five different kinds of whiskey in my Ooh. The most recent is the my brother got me Writer's Tears. It's an Irish oh, whiskey. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's been making the rounds through a lot of the writers I know. Yeah, because yeah. Chris was just talking about that. And yeah. I have it too, yeah. Yes. Well it's a good it's a good gift for writers, so yeah. Nicholas writers get yeah. I I can only imagine. <laughs> Okay, so rituals. That's what we were yeah, yes. we had complete You're talking about cooking. And I thought it was kind of interesting because, like, cooking and running are, like, they get mentioned in writing circles a lot. Or even yeah. baking and running. running. Interesting. Um, and they do. They do. Yeah. I'm not a runner myself. I should be. <laughs> I should be, too. I kind of need to hire somebody to chase me. But I think I need somebody. Would you like... Okay, okay should we... Will you hire somebody to chase me and just not tell me? Like, 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 like no, you kill them. You will run from them. You'll just kill them. Yeah. That, that, is, that is the danger there. There, there is an app that might help you then. And I think it's called, like, Zombie Run. And it oh simulates zombies running. I need this. You. Okay, I need something in my life. And there is like actually a discussion about, like, what audiobooks might help. I there's one here. There's one in Portland where that's the last. there are people staged as zombies along the run that will come after you. I love it. The only time I have consistently run was when my sister, who says this is her midlife crisis, is going through and doing these crazy, like, obstacle course runs. Okay. And so she conned me into doing one of these with her, Dennis and I, and her son. And it was hell. (laughs) 
But I was the, and it, I think it was because, okay, so Dennis would wake up, we, we decided that the only time we could run is at like the butt crack of dawn. So we, my alarm would go off and I'd lay in bed until I heard Dennis get up. And then when Dennis got up, I felt guilty because you can't let your child get up ahead of you and he's woken up already. So now I have to get up because I feel guilty to get up and we go to our run. And yeah, that was the only time I ever ran. That was really anti-copath. <laughs> you need this app then because I feel I need to just read you the first paragraph. You tie your shoes, put on your headphones, and take your first steps outside. You barely covered a hundred yards when you hear them. They may be close. You may hear every guttural breath, every rattling groan. They're everywhere. Zombies. The only thing that you can do? Run. I like it. I think that's what I need. That yeah. would be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Zombies Run is the, is the name of the app. And yeah, I've, I've used that to motivate myself before. <laughs> but I, I'm wondering if it's just because your brain, like, it's either pure exercise or like with baking, it's pure instruction. Well, and there's, I think that it reminds me actually all this talk about this and the ritual things. I feel like for the rituals, they get my mind off of the logical piece. Like, they give my mind something to do. Yeah. So that creativity can kind of release and and go wild and do whatever it's going to do. It reminds me of uh, Beth Alvarado in one of her classes was talking a lot about hermit crab essays and the benefit of those. And a hermit crab essay, you guys probably know what that is, but for listeners who don't, it's where you take some sort of form. And you can do this with a poem or any form of writing, really. But, like, you might take, say, um, a police report or a citation or my mind automatically goes to law enforcement. But Or a recipe. You could do a recipe. But you write that essay using that form. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the because you already have a form that your mind is working logically on yeah. and, and releases that creative part of your brain to do whatever the hell it wants to do. Yeah. And so I think that for... For these rituals, it seems like maybe that's what they're giving us permission to do. It's like it's occupying that logical part of our brain. Well, and I think one of the things that I enjoy, as you're saying this, is kind of making me connect to what I enjoy about baking, is that it's it's it has a clear beginning, middle, and end, and it's self-contained. It's not this open-ended thing where it's like, I mean, you're not like you're not you're never baking cookies, and you're like, well, I guess I'm just done when I'm done. You're like, you know how it's going to end. You know, and you know what the ending looks like. And sometimes it takes longer, but it's never this nightmare where you're just like, oh my god, and now I have to make crème brûlée. Like you, 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 you know, you know where you're going. Yeah, and I'm just going to friends right now. Yeah, it's just. I mean, and I and I think one of the things I also like recreating historical recipes. So I've for a long time I collected historical, specifically British cookbooks. Um, and I don't you, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh-huh. I um and I remember you know I, I'd read these British novels and then I would find these things and I'm like I want to recreate this and so I found like one a good example was Blamange if you've ever <laughs> seen it written out which if you've read any British novel it's Blancmange it's you know yeah mm-hmm. and I was like what is this and so I it's essentially a sweet molded gelatin that like we just I mean jello is not something that we consider an art form these days and this is a homemade gelatin thing so I'm I'm like okay this is it this is the height of Victorian desserts is the blumon and so I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna make this so I get a traditional recipe 
I go through, I do the entire thing. I am ecstatic. I mean, I even found a like copper blancmange mold at Goodwill. Oh my. And I was like, this is fantastic. And it came out, it looked incredible. I was so excited. I go to take a bite out of it and it tastes exactly like Cool Whip. Oh God. (laughs) I spent hours and hours making something that tasted like Cool Whip, but worse because it had the texture of Jell-O. Oh no. It was Jell-O Cool Whip. Oh Oh, man. it was fun. (laughs) It reminds me whenever like the Great British Bake Off has like their Tudor weeks and they're like all the things that were popular during the Tudors and I'm like, I'd never eat any of this. But it's still a fun historical lesson. Yeah, and some of them are really fun to recreate, and some of them you only need to recreate once. <laughs> I'm, I'm very impressed whenever I start baking. I can't actually eat anything I bake. I don't know what mental block stops me. But the minute I finish baking anything, I'm like, I don't want to eat this. Even if it's like chocolate chip cookies, and I love chocolate chip cookies as long as someone else makes them. Interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have that problem. You're but like I, baby face. You can't listen to any performances of himself. <laughs> yeah, I just can't, I just can't eat anything that I like because even the marshmallows that we made. We made marshmallows like two weeks ago. Um, I had to throw half of mine out because I just during one of our writing checkups. Yeah, during one of our writing <laughs> checkups, we we made homemade marshmallows. Alton Brown's recipe. They're fantastic, but I couldn't eat half of them. And I don't know. Eating half of them is a lot. <laughs> even then, no, like, we did make a lot of, of marshmallows. We did, but we still even split them over. And like, I still, I, Ruth I think, stole some of our marshmallows. Back yeah, then. she stole them. <laughs> she didn't steal them. She, she, they were there, and she took she them. She took them. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, and I, I was like, where did the marshmallows go? <laughs> I bought marshmallows. <laughs> and meanwhile, like I said, I'm like I have I have way too many. I ended up having to throw some of them out because they had gotten rock hard because I hadn't eaten them, and I'm just like, uh, I, so I can't. So I'm really impressed that you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish I did. There's not a lot of the one kind of marshmallow. Yeah, that's all we got. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's, that's what it was. You guys ended up because the other kind you guys ended up with two bags of one kind. Anyway, listeners. <laughs> I had no idea what that little bit was about. Rituals. Yes. That's what we're talking about today. So do either of you have reading rituals? Because I don't know if a lot of people have rituals around reading. I... Okay. And I do, so I'm curious about... I like, I like this. I feel like we could go into some interesting... I don't feel like I have a consistent ritual. Okay. Other than when I need to clean something... I put on an audio book. Oh. And that's more like a cleaning ritual, I feel like, than it yeah. is a reading ritual. But, like, and it's usually romance. Yeah. It's usually something that I can just easily fall into and not have to think a lot about. I have been known to shout at my audiobooks when they don't pan out the way I want them to. <laughs> but, anyway. That, I think that's, that's the only ritual that pops into my mind. I know you have some. Do you have any? So I'm, I'm trying to think, and I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm get, comparing books I don't finish against books I do finish. Okay. Um, and the only identifying part that I can find... Because usually, here's, here's how I approach reading, is that um, if I find a book that I like, then everything else for the day is done. Like, sure. I'm going to do my best to finish that book that day, even no matter how ridiculous it will actually be. Or what to time do it. it ends up being at night. Yeah. Or what, um, yeah, what other 
supposed yeah, obligations I, you once had in the day. Yeah, exactly. Because I hate going to sleep not knowing what's going to happen. Oh. Um, but inevitably, just like the like the flow of time and responsibilities, basically means that this plan never works out. Sure. And then the next day, I don't know, it's happened every single time. I won't read at all. I'm even just like ruminate on what I have read and like ruminate on the excitement and the anticipation. And then for good books, like I, we were talking earlier, sorry, we, listeners, we were talking earlier about the um, Patrick O'Brien books. Like, I'll ruminate for the day on those and then go back because I'm so excited to see what happens next. Okay. But for like the. Um, Hi, Spoon. The <laughs> Kings of the Wild book, I forget what his name is, Nicholas Eames. Yes. Like, it took me a week to go back to him after the first day because I had gotten to a point where I was like, I was at a lull and I wasn't as excited to see what happens next. Sure. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what the differentiation happens there is. And I don't know if it's necessarily just like where my mind decides to stop for the night and accept that I'm not going to finish this book in a day. Okay. Or what. And so you've got me thinking about this now. I know you have rituals. Yeah. I'm going to hold you off on your rituals for a second. Okay. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. What is the longest you have stopped reading and then gone back to the book? Like, like what's the gap there? Oh, God. Years. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I have books that I read half of, and I'll someday I'll pick them up right where I left off. With really, the, right where you left Yeah, off. well, because I just, I'll put it back on the shelf with a bookmark in it. Okay. And then, because sometimes I have this moment where I'm like, okay, if I don't finish it, I'll ne- I never will. Because my, my, usually I get to a certain point with reading where I, if I'm, if I've been away from a book long enough, then I feel like I need to reread it. Like I need to go back and start from the beginning. But then that'll keep me from actually ever going back to it because I don't want to go back and reread the first half of it. Mm-hmm. So there's sometimes I have this point where I'm like, I either need to just get rid of this book and realize I, you know, I read half of it, you know, kind of Marie Kondo it. It did what it did. <laughs> my its goal and my its its purpose in my life was to be half read, and and then let it go, or I'll just pick it up from the middle. And if I if the writing's good, I can often pick a book up from the middle and keep going because the plot doesn't need to carry it because the writing can stand for itself. If it's a really plot or character-driven book that you really need to remember all the, those details, so I just can't. I you just abandon it. Just abandon it. Yeah. But years. I will say years. Mine's only weeks. Like, I, I fully acknowledge because it happens with a couple other books where I'm like, I have that, that day of cramming and that day of absorbing and seeing if I want to continue with the with the obsessive reading. And if I can get more than a couple days, then I realize that I didn't necessarily want to go back to that book, and it just needs to sit down and be done. I yeah. Wish, I wish I could be more like that. I feel like I obsessively finish books, and I, I have a few that I've got a couple years with, but... I feel like usually I just power through, which is why I'm so reluctant to read random books people give me, with the exception of trusted friends like, <laughs> who are in this room. You mean all the all the suggestions that we chuck at well, you? Well, I mean those are those are different. Those are ones that I trust, but it's like the the random friend who's like, oh, you have to read this book. It's so good because I know as soon as I start that book, I have to finish it, whether I'm enjoying it or not. Oh, There's yeah. only one book to date that I have not finished, and that was that fucking book that you made me read. Ambrosial Flesh? Yes! <laughs> I think we should keep a tally of how many times I bring this book up because it pisses me off! I think for Christmas you're going to get a first edition. Oh yeah. 
So I can remember um, when I was in like my sophomore year of college, a friend of mine gave me um, the David Eddings books. Not the, for those of you who know the author, not the Bagaria and the Malorian, but the other ones with Sparhawk, the um, Elanian and the Tumuli. Um, and she would give them to me one book at a time, which was driving me crazy for the record. And um, I was volunteering at my mom's work and my mom would go to work at like 7.30 in the morning. I'd stay up until 3 to finish these books because they were like, they're, they're paperback fantasy. Like, they, they are not strenuous in the slightest. Mm -hmm. You just need a little bit of time to get through them. So I could get through them in like 9 or 10 hours if I read dedicatedly, which I ended up doing. So I'd stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning reading them and then have to get up at 7.30 and go with my mom to work and then volunteer with 5th graders who were high on summer energy. <laughs> Oh, no. And so I'd be working with them all morning. And then in the afternoon while they were sitting in class, I would literally just fall asleep in the back of the classroom like a horrible student. <laughs> and then just have the instructor who worked for my mom just be like, what even is her daughter doing back there? <laughs> I stayed up all night reading. Exactly. Then go see my friend, get the next book and do, do it, it again. all again. Yes. <laughs> Um, because again, these were not strenuous books, but for some reason they spoke to me on a particular level at that particular time in my life where I was like, no, I can't put these down. I don't care how detrimental it is for the rest of my life. Oh, <laughs> uh, I miss that. I miss books that give me that kind of I feeling. Do too. Mm -hmm. it's, been a while. it's so, it's yeah. so rare. And, and what's unfortunate now is that when I do find them, I tend to blow through them fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And then it takes like another year before I find a book that's just the same I thing. Know. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Very true. Okay, what are your rituals? Because you have... Cause I have a few. serious rituals. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, I have yeah. a few. So, okay, one ritual that I adopted a few years ago, and I don't do it for... None of these I do for every book or for every situation, but they're ones that I will deliberately, um, kind of deliberately engage. And one of them is that I try to tie my reading experience to other senses so I will pick a scent that I want to go with that book. And so I'll either go through my essential oils or I'll find, but it has to be something that's not tied to something else. So like I never use lavender because lavender is, it's like, it's everywhere. Like it's, yeah. so to me, lavender is so overused. It doesn't have any specific meaning to me. So I have to find things that I, I don't have, I don't have an other meanings tied to. And so, um, so I will either do the, like, put the oil in my hands and breathe it, and then I, or I will, for one book, I actually kind of rubbed it on the book itself so that the books had that smell. She invented her book. I invented my book. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll pair it with a sound, so I'll either pick, um, I have a bunch of, like, white noise apps where it's, like, it's a waterfall, or it's rain, or it's fire, or it's this or that, you know, something... And so I have deliberately gone through with the intent of trying to engage more senses while I was reading a specific book. And um, that's been something that I find really, really fun. And my hope is that, like, if I find certain types of books, then I can kind of weave that in with that same scent. So I'll pick, you know, like, say I, I read one book that gave me a specific feeling and I was using, like, the Lang Lang oil, which I really don't use because it's so, so floral. Um it's like you have to be really subtle with it it's really good but you can overdo it but then it's like 
assuming that was the oil I used. And then I would, if I found another book that was kind of giving me that same feeling, then I would like tie it in with that so that there's this sort of like the emotional resonance of that book. I really feel be- like when you finish this project in 50 years, you need to like detail. I want, right, I want yes. to know how this turns out and like what books ended up in these different sensual connections. Yeah. Because no, I find it really interesting because for me, reading is such an emotional experience. And so there's a lot of books that when I'm done reading, I will have had this really acute experience with, but I may not necessarily remember all that many details about like plot or characters, or it'll be one of those where I can tell you exactly how that book made me feel, Mm -hmm. but I can't necessarily tell you the details about it. So it's more like trying to just embody more of that. So that's something that I've done for a few years that I really like, and I'm, I'm fairly deliberate about it. Like I pick a book I'm like, okay, this is a book that I, I think this is the experience I'm going to have with it. And like, this is how I want to engage with it. So that's been a really fun one. Um, another one that I'll do is more of a, it's like a writing exercise where I will read the book with the intention of like coloring in it, drawing in it, underlining things, highlighting things. I'll take sections of text and rewrite them on blank parts, you know, blank parts of pages or the back cover or the front cover. Sometimes I'll carry a notebook with it, but I usually try to just use the book itself. Um, and then some of them I have gone through and I'll take a paragraph and I'll deliberately like rewrite it and then I'll rewrite it again and then I'll rewrite it again. And I'll just like really try to sink into it. And I had the most amazing experience with this one book. It was a David Maloof novel. And I was rewriting this one passage. And I just got to the part where I'd like cut it apart, put it back together and redone it. And, you know, took out words and added this and rearranged everything. And I, I, I mean, I worked with this text for probably four hours. And then I finally like put the book down for a little bit, got a cup of tea and went back and like reread it the way he had originally written it. And I was like, it's perfect. Like, it's so perfect the way he wrote it, but I really couldn't see that until I had just, like, wrestled with it and played with it and, like, made it mine. And it's sometimes, like, that is such a fun way to engage. And I same thing, like, it's not something I do with a ton of books. Um, and sometimes I'll pick, I'll do it with a classic. I'll do it with a book that I go into it knowing that regardless of how I personally feel about the book and the reading experience I'm going to get from the book, it has this other value historically or culturally speaking that sort of makes it worth my time. (laughs) So then adding this layer of like, okay, I'm actually going to really engage with this and I'm, you know, like doodle on it and just really play with it. And it makes it really come alive for me. Um, And just, I don't know, it's a really fun way to read. And it's one that I don't give myself enough time for anymore. Like I used to be a much more like, I would probably do that two or three times a year. Like, so not really not very, but the percentage of books I do that with is pretty low. Um, but I mean, it's probably been a year since I've even tried to engage with a book that way. But like sometimes I'll go, I'll go to, we have a really cool art store downtown and I'll go and buy these like beautiful colored pencils, these like art pencils and I'll buy them specifically for my book. So like sometimes I'll bring the book in and I'll match like the cover to the color pencils. And I'm like, okay, these are the ones I'm going to use to like highlight and underline and draw and color and circle things. And like, you know, it's that thing where like even a word, you'll pull a word out and then just like write it over and over and over and over again. And I don't know. It's a really fun way to engage with reading. So when you were talking about sensory connections and like noise that you put in the background, it made me think there's an app called Wiki Sounds. Ooh. And let me see. 
if it has the, if it's got sound going right now. Basically, it plays chimes for whenever a Wikipedia article is either created, edited, or like revised in some way. And I have I have the app, but like the sound doesn't seem to want to be working right now, which might be like part of my fault. But basically, it. Um, it creates stuff. I don't know if it just works with headphones, but it was as it goes, it's a completely random noise. But this is what I tend to listen to a lot when I'm either reading or writing. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, and I don't know why the sound isn't working right now. I wish it was. But basically, yeah, the bigger the circles, the louder the chime. And then the green, purple, and white um, all are different chime noises. Okay. And so it's completely random, but it's just this like weird like hearing information come onto the internet thing. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. That is neat. I really like that. Yeah. And so that's why when you were talking about like white noise background, that kind of like stuck in the back of my head because I will I will go to that app more often than I'll go to any sort of like fire crackling or rainstorm. Yeah. I'm just going to oh, never quite know what I'm going like to get. That. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. Your interacting with the text reminded me a lot of erasure poetry, which I have yeah, I have done some of that. That I think is a great, an interesting way to interact with the text as well. Yeah, which and I think it's it's one of those things where a lot of people don't they'll do that with shorter pieces of fiction or poetry or essays, but it's right, like to, to do it with on a whole level. book, and it's yeah. hard. It's hard to do it with a whole book because and a lot you, of times you wouldn't do it with every page of that book. Yeah, you yeah. would pick your moments, but. I will say, though, the book that I have the most, like, the most engagement with, like, you can look at it and it's just completely covered, is Moby Dick. That is the perfect, perfect, like, that, I mean, I honestly feel like that is the way to read that book because it's poetry, it's nature writing, it's essays, it's these weird drama interludes where it's like literally a drama, mm-hmm. you know, with person A, person B. I mean, that's not usually, I don't think he says that, but you know, it'll be like, <laughs> you know, Queequeg or Peleg or comes on deck and this and that. And I just, the way it's written, it has, it, he'll, he'll dive into these like Shakespearean, almost like soliloquies. And then there's these other times that are just these amazingly insightful um, you know, meditative sections where he's talking about his experiences and some of it's just a straight up adventure novel. And then there's this like long, it's a pretty famous chapter that I mean, you read it and it's both really beautiful and very strange and very erotic. And it's just him and a bunch of guys squeezing the spermaceti out of a sperm whale. And so it's just this giant bucket of sperm and the entire chapter is just I wish we could just squeeze sperm together. We should all be squeezing sperm for eternity. Squeezing sperm. Is... And you're sitting there thinking, I mean, I know this means something kind of different, but also no, no, it doesn't. This means exactly what you think it means. It's just straight up so homoerotic. And it's really beautiful, but you're also kind of going, you just, you just laid it all out there, buddy. Like, there you just all out there. It's just a full-on commitment. I mean, it's even in the title. <laughs> That book is a really, that, I mean, that is the way to read that book. I mean, just to sit down and try and read it like a novel, I think most people, I feel like one out of a hundred people love that book. 99 out of a hundred people hate that book and do not understand. Oh, but the people who love it, love it. Oh, the people who love it, like, will reread it for the rest of their life. So, and I would say my other, my more common reading ritual, though, that I do is just 
creating time to read and then making a really fun space. So I will lay out all the blankets and all the pillows and I'll get my special reading lamp, which is Oliver's lamp. So I'll take it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pilfer from my children. <laughs> where's my lamp? I'm like, I like your lamp better than my lamp. <laughs> so really it's my lamp now. <laughs> I'll make tea, like the whole thing. And just sort of sit down like with the intention of like, I'm just going to read for a couple hours. And, I just, I love doing that. Like, I don't read in the bath just because it's, I mean, I do occasionally, but it's not my, like, sacred work. It never works for me. Yeah, I'm not a really bad bath taker, so I I get my bath all nice and bubbly and salty and perfumey and whatever else, girly, you know, random, (laughs) however I want to take my bath, right? Yeah. And then I get in and I get really hot. (laughs) So I'm in it for, like, five minutes and, like, I'm too hot. I think the problem is that I used to run baths for my mom. Okay, this is going to sound weird, but, like, we grew up on a farm. So we had a cistern. We shared baths. Oh, yeah. This is a my yeah. too. Right? And so I would run the, you'd run the, the bath really hot, and you put all the good smelly stuff in it, and we'd have, like, these great baths. And so she'd take her bath, and then I'd jump in afterward. Yeah. I was always the second ba- bather. And so I run the baths like I'm still going to share them. <laughs> That's too And they're blisteringly hot. And like after about five minutes, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I know. But part of, yeah, like part of it as well is that you get your hands wet and you don't want to yeah. turn pages. Oh, and, yeah. And I just have this fear that like the book is going to drop into the bath. And so like I can never, re- I never understood people who could read and take a bath at the same time. I like, I'll sit in a chair, I'll sit in the couch, but my minds are almost spontaneous where like, it has to be a perfect alliance of like, the light is good. I have nothing on my plate. I have no burning desire to do other things. Yeah. And this book is right in front of me. <laughs> I read in an inner tube floating down the river this summer. Mm. I put my book in a Ziploc bag and I took the kids to the river and everyone got on their inner tubes and I had eyes on them the whole time and didn't neglect them in any way. (laughs) (laughs) I clarify that. They are old enough to take care of themselves. No, we have a, yeah. We have a a very floaty floaty river that my kids have floated a million times. And it's a problem. And it's like two feet deep, okay? Like most of that river is like two feet deep. Yeah, by the time it's really hot, it's like, but it's two feet of water and like four feet of like, mud and seaweed which will suck out your soul and you'll drown in like only at parts of it only at parts like let's be honest there are parts that river you can stand in and your knees will get wet there's parts where you're just like oh god get out get out get out it's touching me like you've got maybe like a fourth of the river is that like eight foot seaweed but anyway yeah but um so I got on the inner tube I got on in my inner tube and waited until the kids were far enough away that they were just me down the river and I was like this is what I need to be doing like three times a week in December yeah. this is the best. I feel like if and I also, tried to do that my, my hyper focus would kick in and I'd end up going over, over the rapids, rapids. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. and die just like oh here you go like right. I told you books would kill you <laughs> I, uh, well and it was funny because it was a book that I didn't care that much 
much of the house. And I was like, eh. It was like an arc that I was like, I don't care if it gets trashed. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's fine, whatever. And then uh, I, uh, so I was like, I don't care if it gets wet. But um, I actually ended up loving it and I didn't destroy it. So it was <laughs> fantastic. It was win-win. But one of the things I've also noticed is like all the summer reading I've done um, this summer I would go to parks or rivers or whatever, and we have a million of those little free libraries all over town. And so it, it's, I was almost like wherever I finished the book, if I knew I didn't want to keep it, I would go find the nearest little free library and put it in there. I love that. Yeah. Or if I didn't like the book. If I got to a point where I was like, <laughs> I don't like this, put it away. So just drop it off in the little free library. Yeah. So. Woe be to me who picks it up next. Well, you never know. Tastes change. Just because yeah. I... I mean, I so I did actually just finish... Listening to an audiobook recently that was written by um, a guy who I discovered through his podcast, and I really, really like what they talk about and like his voice, and it's just really interesting. And I had bought his book trying to read it, and I just couldn't really, I just wasn't really getting along. It's nonfiction, and it's a book about reading, but I just wasn't really getting along with it. Like, I don't know, I just didn't, it just didn't click with me. And then um, I realized, like, they're just, I've listened to all their podcasts, like, a million times, and I was like, I just want another podcast to come out. And I was like, wait, he reads his own audiobook. So I was like, I'll just, it's just like I'll be listening to 12 hours of the podcast. And it's exactly what it was. It was like listening to 12 hours of the podcast. So, but he had a really good observation on reading, because it's sort of his journey of picking 52 books. 52 books that he's lied. He's a, okay, so he was a bookseller and an editor, so he's worked in the book industry his whole life. And so he picked 52 books that he's lied about having read, that he had never read. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. <laughs> and decides that he's actually going to read them. Yeah. And it's about him, you know, he's kind of like living in the suburbs and commuting an hour and a half into London every day. And his wife and him are alternating. So like she works three days, he works three days. And then whoever doesn't work is home with their like young, young son. And it's just sort of that like modern parenting slash adulting hell that most people fall into at some point where everything you know and love about your life is slowly being drained away. And and he... (laughs) Best way to articulate why I'm never having kids. Parenting is natural. So whenever my parents are like, so oh, grandkids, and I'm like, I'm just going to play this clip. Yeah. Here's the thing. He's like, yeah, next time my mom's going to make kids, I'm just going to like play this clip for her. And be like, like, damn that Asia. Damn her. But he, he goes through this, his, this like reading, this commitment to like read these books. And he decides that he is going to finish every single one of them. And he made this point, which I actually kind of want to write it out because it was like perfectly articulated, but it was essentially that like, if you're not careful, you will get out of the habit of finishing books. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that has totally happened to me. And it's, and it was really, it was really personal because the exact same reason why it happened to him has happened to me. It's when you work in books, you get used to, there's so many new books coming at you all the time that mm-hmm. it's sort of this sort of this, it's it's this sense of like, you're kind of reading books with this judgy eye of like, is it trash? Is it good? Can I sell it? Who will want this? You know, what am I going to say about it? Like you're reading for review. You're reading for this. You're reading for that. Like you're not reading for yourself and you're not like committing to the books. Like there's, I don't even go into books with this intention that I'm like going to commit to them anymore. And so I realized like, 
I was looking at my Goodreads for this year, or maybe it was last year, but it was like, oh my god, like I did not really read that many books. I was like, but I'm reading all the time. I'm reading hours every day. And I was like, but I don't finish anything. Like, I just burn out. And, and the thing is, is that's become such a habit with me that I will burn out on books I enjoy. Like, books I like, I'll put them down and pick something else up, and I'll never go back to them. I mean, I literally have a book that I was looking at on my bookshelf that I have 20 pages left. I loved this book. And I think I put it down because either, like, my book club book, I needed to pick it up and read it, or something else popped up that was timely that I needed to read. And then I just never got back back to it. I was like, I hate this about myself. Like, I really want to just force myself to finish books until I get that muscle, like, reinvigorated. Because it's like... I think maybe we could just trade book reading bodies. I know. I, we need like half and half. Like, yeah, yeah. I need the ability to quit. You need the ability to, to finish. Yeah. yeah. I think because it's interesting because I think there's also like a vague fear of, of of finishing the book and then never finding anything that matches the emotion that that book gave you. Yeah. That's so you don't want to finish that's the book either. Because I've had that. Like I don't. I, I don't have that as a book. Mm-hmm. I have it as. A, a TV show, and I'll tell you about it in a minute. You finish your story. Sorry. Well, I was just no because that when um, I had to read the Curse of Chalian for school um, because I had put it on my list of books I had to annotate, um, and I had no idea what I was getting into with that book. I just knew it was by an author that I was digging, and it was in a genre I liked. Um, and then I got within the last fourth of the book, and I'm like, if I finish this book. That's gonna break me. Exactly, because there's nothing else in my repertoire at the moment that matches the emotion I'm getting out of this book and the satisfaction it's giving me. Yeah. And so I was actually terrified to finish that book. I almost didn't for a while. Yeah. Um, no, I I totally had that mm-hmm. that feeling. I don't think that's exactly what's happening to me now. Yeah. But but it has happened in the past. Oh yeah, I have. Well, one the very first time I read The Mist of Avalon, I. I literally got within 20 pages of the end and I like, I couldn't, I was like almost in tears. I was like, I can't finish this book. Like it was so, I mean, obviously problematic now, but at the time, like yeah. this book was just everything to me. And I was just like, I couldn't, I just couldn't, it couldn't be something I finished. And it's, it's so hard because like those books are become rarer and rarer as you read more and more, which yeah. sucks because it's like, it was yeah. almost like a junkie high where you're like, it totally is like 20, of these, 20 of these books didn't do it for me. And then the one that does do it for me, you're like, I need this book to be like three times longer than yeah. it is. Because yeah, you need that extension of it. Um, well, that was why I think I reacted so hardcore to... Ka Dar Oakley and the Ruins of York. <gasps> it's right. That book is so it's so good, but also it just gave me like that, you know that point where you just totally surrender to a book that like even if it has slow parts, even if it has parts, like you're so committed. Mm-hmm. You're just yeah. in it a hundred percent and you're oh, yeah. like, I'm I am here with you, like nothing could like wild horses cannot <laughs> drag me from this experience yes. like I am here for all of it like you put it down and you can't wait to get back to it it's like you're living in it even when you're not reading it and then it's like you're back to it like I'd start to get cranky if I didn't get enough time to read it and then I would just like s- like sink into it and it was just <laughs> incredible do you want my son reader confession yes uh-huh. I don't remember the last time I had that feeling it's been a really long time it's also okay so give yourself some slack because you've also been MFA <laughs> I'm gonna be completely honest besides yeah. the curse of Chalian most of the books I had to read for the MFA did not give me that feeling. All yeah. the books, like in fact, most of them gave me the opposite feeling. Like you've heard my rant on yeah. moral, like the on moral fiction book. 
<laughs> that was the only book like when you're talking about like making annotations and like met, like just reconstructing it. Yeah. The only p- book I've ever written in to that extent is this book called On Moral Fiction by John Gardner, and it's only because I hated this book so much. <laughs> <laughs> Never underestimate the importance of a good rage read. Exactly. And that's honestly what I just had to embrace finishing this book because it is essentially it was written like the nineteen seventies. And the author is just word vomiting onto a page. His sentences last for paragraphs. <laughs> um, and it's not even just the fact that I don't like his argument. Is it John Gardner of Grendel? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because I actually read it in tandem with Grendel. Like they were both, like they both got read within Which, like I a month of each other. Grendel for you? Well, yeah, but Grendel also had some other issues for me as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, this base it's basically A, it's all word vomit, and he's got like filler, like I'd have to read it. I'd have to read out the. You might have to read a few sentences of yeah, it at some point. Well, well, it's got filler parts in sentences where he's just like extending the sentence because you can just tell it's his natural speaking style to extend okay. a sentence. And I think that's really how he wrote this book. I don't know if this is true he just at all. Dictated it, but it sounds like he just dictated <laughs> it. Yeah, because it's just got these really weird random intersections and in sentences where it sounds like he is. Just, if you read it like you're talking, it's more enduring. Like. Okay. That's how I got through that book at the end of the day, was that I just read it to myself out loud. But just reading it as you would read a novel, oh my god, it was torture. <laughs> and the only way I got through it was by writing all of my arguments in the margins. <laughs> it's bad. It's super bad. It's and here and it's, I'm sure it speaks. I hate calling a book bad because like it yeah, speaks to it's, it speaks to, it speaks to some people out there. I did not enjoy it. <laughs> But also, it did help me sharpen arguments, so I can't say it was completely not a worthwhile read. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's that book for you. It's funny, too, because then my mentor assigned it to the like the next class, when it, like his, his group for the next class under me. Yeah. And they had already heard me ranting about it. <laughs> <laughs> so Megan was, like, when Geronimo assigned it to Megan under me, he was just like, this book, and Megan's like... Rachel already told me about that book. <laughs> Do I have to Rachel scream about it? We're friends. Yeah, because it was because it was during the um the the residency when Megan came over and like she was asking for help on just like what she was doing. Do you remember that? Was this the residency with all the wine and the gummy bears? Yes, when I don't we were... remember much of okay. the residency. Okay, so. <laughs> There was a residency, Kelsey and I shared a cabin, mm-hmm. um, and our next door neighbor came over, and I was in the balcony of the cabin, like, doing some, I think I was talking to Pamela about her thesis. Oh, yeah, see, this was mid, mid, uh, gummy bear Chaos. wine consumption. Yeah, yeah, there was gummy bears, there was so wine. Kelsey was on the patio as well, eating gummy bears and drinking wine, and At she four does not remember any of this. <laughs> At four o'clock in the afternoon, oh, yeah, on the one the sour ones? Yeah. We drove That's 20 the minutes. No, <laughs> we drove 20 minutes for these gummy bears. <laughs> um, or gummy worms, whatever they were. I don't remember much about that day. No, no. Um, and Other yeah. than crying. Yeah, there was a lot of crying. There was a lot of crying and sugar and alcohol. That was all we really needed in life and soul. Um, and folks, I mean, it sounded yeah. like you were living the dream. Exactly, in a way. Yeah, we were. There was emotional torture, but there were also... That was the end. That was yeah. after all the gummy bear and the wine. 
Yeah. Anyway, um, and so like Megan comes in and she's like, "Hey, can we like?" Because she's she's like a year a year below us and she's still trying to figure out what she wants to make her thesis about and all of this. And all of us are so wrapped her up. Me at the same time. Yeah. And so and all of us are so wrapped up in our own thoughts that we don't really like give her a lot of room to work. And so like after I finish talking with Pamela, I have to go like over to the next cabin where she's staying and actually sit with her on the balcony and be like, "Okay, like thirty minutes ago you got us distracted, but now you have my attention." See, that's that's. I blame you now because you walked away when you should have been super. Right? No, I know. Sorry about that. I made an executive decision. It was you or Megan. There's only one space on this door in the middle of the Atlantic. You know? Can you tell I was born in the 90s? Um, and so, yeah, and so I'm talking to Megan instead, and she's asking me about like craft books and everything. And this is before she had my mentor as her own. And I rant about this book for like 20 minutes. Because once again, I, I, yeah, and I'm not, I, now I feel I'm going to have to read you an excerpt of it when I find it here in a second. Um, but I tell her about it and I warn her against it. And then next year she's like, so Geronimo assigned me that book. And I'm like, I don't know why he is so obsessed with this book. <laughs> because I actually talked to one of my upperclassmen and they also got assigned to that book. And, and Tom was Maybe flat because out. he wants you to argue with it. Maybe. It does, I mean, it seems very... Well, it might be very polarizing, so maybe that's why. The one it, it, it like, could like be because Tom didn't finish. Tom didn't finish it at all. He was like, I got halfway yeah. through it and had to. It stop. doesn't sound like something that you would think Geronimo would pick. I think I think it's exactly what Geronimo. But would I pick. think he is going for the. I want you to argue with this, and I want you to decide, yeah. and I want you mm-hmm. to see this viewpoint and maybe rail against some of the. Yeah. Uh, Rich example. Yeah, examples that he pulls. <laughs> um, yeah, let me see. I have I have a sample of the book on my Kindle, which is what I'm looking for right now to see a good. Rachel, Rachel will pull that up. Yes. Well, I'd like to revel a little bit longer in my gummy worm. <laughs> no, gummy. Were they gummy bears or gummy worms? They were gummy worms. They were and they were gummy worms. Were they were kettle chips. Um, I. Th- there was something else. I think we got. We some were sort of stranded chocolate. in the middle of the forest, and we had to drive out to get goods. The closest <laughs> so thing we was did you, you have to tell the entire gas station story. Oh yeah. Okay. So we we drive out to this gas station, right? And uh, there's nobody else around. Really, it's in the middle of the night, kind of. This is a separate time because this is the residency before the same gas station, right? This is this is <laughs> they where know well. Yeah, they know a spot. But so we get there and we're we're um, all buying our goods to stock up because we're in the middle of nowhere, people. We're, we're we need the gummy bears to survive, <laughs> right? So so we're stocking up on all our goods, and one of one of our cohort members is outside smoking her cigarette in secret, so that none of her family members who are not present will know that she's still smoking, mm-hmm. even though I think they all knew anyway. Yeah. So she's out there, kind of covertly smoking while we gather things, and. <clears throat> We go to get in line, and the lady behind the counter sees my, is it my, your tattoos, my on, tattoos your on my arms, and is like, I have a tattoo! And so she yanks up her leg, and like, like her leg, pant leg, <laughs> and puts her leg up on the counter, and we're not first in line in my shirt. There's a guy who's like got one thing to buy. And just wants to get out of here alive. Kind of look on his face. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we think he was first. And she's like, oh no, he can wait. (laughs) So she proceeds to tell us this whole story of her tattoo. I don't remember the story. It has something to do with her son. 
And I don't remember much past so was, that. Anyway, very meaningful. It was, yeah. very, it was very meaningful blah, blah, blah. and sweet mm-hmm. and stuff. And and we're we're you know trying to be nice. And Tiffany comes like comes and she's like, the cops are here. What did you do? Because she thought the cops had gotten called on us because she could just hear us cackling. cackling. Yeah. <laughs> and this poor guy is still just waiting for his stuff. He's like, I want my because uh, yeah, all he has is like a tub of ice cream, if that. It's melted by now. <laughs> okay, yeah. I have an idea as a ritual to potentially wrap up our reading ritual evening. So, it. because we have normally on the full moon, we do some kind of a spiritual thing. It's right. like a technical word. Um, so, what I'm proposing is that we should do a, we should do an inspired reading. So... I'll be mind, body, and spirit. Not me. I'm pointing. You can't see this. She's mind, spirit. And we each have books that are our coasters. So we are going to open them completely at random. Oh my god, I love this. Okay. Draw, put our finger on a sentence, and then we're going to divine what the meaning of that spirit or that sentence is as far as should we, we'll wait to reveal what these are from or when Yeah, you... yeah. So, okay. So since mine is for body, I'm going to just open this and read the first, oh God, this sentence could be so long. <laughs> I'll start, I'll start with, I'll do a line. Mm-hmm. The voice is quiet and weighty and deliberate for retrospection. Ooh. I should have known exactly where the snow had come from, but in that moment of shock, I took it to be a sign. The colonists did not stir, stay near the natives, but by the colonists. Ooh. I feel like these are all profound. <laughs> <laughs> so you were mind, right? I was mind. Tasha pointed at herself when she said mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the voice is quiet and weighty and deliberate for retrospection. That seems very mindful. It does seem very <laughs> mindful. I realized I messed up slightly. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, and yours was body. And mine was body, and mine was... Oh, I lost my sign. Oh, wait, I mean, I lost my line. I should have known exactly where the snow had come from. But in that moment of shock, I took it to be a sign. It's so physical. I like it, though. I like it. So, so here's what I accidentally did. I, I landed in the middle of a sentence. I read that sentence, but instead of going down to the next sentence... You read the beginning? Yeah, my eyes just followed okay, me. But I think that was meant to be. <laughs> right. So yes. Okay. The colonists did not stay near the natives, but by the colonists. I love it! <laughs> it very but also, it's very accurate. Yeah, and honestly, so like... Mind, it's, body, spirit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Keisha was mind, Kelsey was body, Rachel was spirit. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's some meaning behind this. So my, my reading came from William Faulkner's Go Down Moses. My reading came from The Girl Wakes, Stories by Carmen Lau. L-A-U. Hey, it came off your bookshelf. <laughs> I don't say these things out loud, I read them. And then mine came from Doris Lessing, uh, this... Syrian Experiments, the report by Ambien 2 of the five. Okay, how many people here knew that Doris Lessing wrote science fiction? Well, you did. You <laughs> saw the books. books. <laughs> also, the, the book of the, the spine of this book is now like permanently broken where I opened it. It's okay. <laughs> That's that, okay. It will, that will be my meaning now. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, I like I looked at the sentence and I'm like, oh, that sentence is like four lines longer than I originally thought. But eyes and like weird restrictions. Also, okay, and then we'll close okay, here. Here's, we're, gonna, we're gonna end with something very esoteric. Okay. Yeah. Here is like a section. This is a section out of like the the on moral fiction by John Gardner that I complain about all the time. Uh, ba, ba, ba. Okay. I'm now Brown Cow. Yes. And here's the thing. I'm so sorry. I'm going to stutter over some of this just because he has so many run-ons. The language of critics and of artists of the kind who pay attention to critics has become excessively odd by not talking about feelings or intellectual affirmations, not talk about moving and surprising twists of plot or wonderful characters and ideas, but sentences full of large words like hemiotic, herotic, structuralism, formalism, or opaque language, and full of fine distinctions of instances, those between modernism and postmodernism, that will become suspicious even to intellectual cow suspicious. Throughout more difficult or even before to read, criticism has become trivial. That was two sentences I just have to point out. Uh, the trivial has its place, its entertainment value. I can think of no good reason that some people should not specialize in the behavior of the left side hairs of an elephant's trunk. Even at its best, its most deadly serious criticism like art is partly a game, at all good, as all good critics know. My objective is not to the game, but to the fact that contemporary critics have, for the most part, lost track of the point of their game, just as artists, by and large, have lost track of the point of theirs. Fiddling with the hairs of the elephant's nose and is, is, is indecent to the elephant when an elephant happens to be standing on the baby. Okay. Yeah. The entire book. I don't know that I even would have read that. Yeah. The entire book is like that. That was two paragraphs worth of information, and it was maybe four sentences. Okay. I, I'm going to do a palate cleanser, though, and remind <laughs> you all of why we love, love William Faulkner. Okay. There was always a bottle present. So that it would seem to him that those fine, fierce instances of heart and brain and courage and willingness and speed were concentrated and, and distilled into that brown liquor, which not women, not boys and children, but only hunters drank, drinking not of the blood they spilled, but some condensation of the wild, immortal spirit, drinking it moderately, humbly even, not with the pagan's base and baseless hope of acquiring thereby the virtues of cunning and strength and speed, but in salute to them. Thus it seemed to him on this December morning, not only natural, but actually fitting, that this should have begun with whiskey. <laughs> Yay! Oh, that's a better place to Bill, end. I love you. Yes. Good old Billy. Yes. All right, you guys. So what we need to hear from you are writing rituals. Writing rituals. And reading. And reading rituals. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think of ours? Like, who, who amongst the three of us is the craziest here? That is, that's, 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 maybe don't talk about that. That's well, neither here nor there. But. Happy reading rituals. Happy writing rituals. Happy life. Woo! <laughs> Didn't quite know how to end that movie. <laughs> Bye! Bye! Dun dun dun! Dun dun dun! Dun dun! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna randomly throw that into every episode now. I'll be like in a random part. Uh, Scare the Jesus out of our listeners whenever uh, they do it. That brings us to the end of yet another Read, Write, Repeat episode. 
We have to give a big shout out to our producer, Vaguely Human Productions, for making us sound so great, and a huge thanks to Mike Frederick for our intro music. You can find links to all of these lovely people in our show notes. Listeners, thanks so much for giving us your time. We'd love to hear from you, and doing so enters you in our giveaway. We put together a quarterly goodie box to show our listeners how much we appreciate them, interact with us, and be entered to win the goodie box. To enter, simply follow us and tag us in a bookish photo or comment on Instagram at read, write, repeat, underscore podcast, on Twitter, at the RWR podcast, or Facebook, at read, write, repeat pod. Or leave us a comment on our show notes or one of our posts on any of our social media platforms. A winner will be drawn at random at the beginning of November, February, May, and August. If you love us, Please be sure to rate us and leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your preferred listening platform so that others can find us. If anything sparked an idea for you or you have thoughts about what we should discuss next, let us know. You can find ways to connect with us on our website, readwriterepeatpod.com. Thanks for listening, you guys. Have a wonderful day.